Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I talk to some of the best and brightest in personal finance to find out how they achieved financial independence. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm talking to a buddy of mine named Patrick, who I met way back in 2016 at FinCon San Diego, which is a financial conference. And he was a mad scientist listener at the time and just came up and talked to me and my wife. And I quickly realized, one, he's a really fun guy to talk to, but also he had a really interesting story to tell. So I'm excited to share it with you today. Patrick's story is a bit of a rags to riches to rags to riches story. And there's lots of stuff that he learned along the way, and I'm excited to dive into some of it. But a brief summary, he built up a multi-million dollar business over the years, and he was living the multi-million dollar entrepreneur lifestyle a bit. And sadly, it all came crashing down during the global financial crisis. So he had to eventually declare bankruptcy and start from scratch again. And when he was rebuilding up his life and his business, he realized he needed to get his personal finances in order. And that's how he ended up finding the financial independence world. And that led to him completely changing his you know, outlook on spending. And he ended up trimming his expenses to less than 50% of before the financial crisis and he was able to build up his business and his investments and he was able to reach financial independence in just eight years after declaring bankruptcy. So it's an incredible story with lots of lessons learned, no doubt. So without further delay, Patrick, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, my scientist. This is an honor to be on your podcast. <laughs> so we go way back. We we met back in 2016 at FinCon San Diego. And I have to say, out of my entire decade of being the mad scientist, I think when I met you, that was the coolest I ever felt. And it just so happened to be my wife was there and she got to experience it too. So yeah, if, if we just go back to 2016... And we were just milling around in some, you know, big convention hall. And you came up to me and you just said some very kind things in front of my wife. And I could just tell by her face, she's like, what is going on here? This guy's like, he looks like a really nice, normal guy, smart. And he's saying all these really nice things about, you know, just weird financial writing on the internet. And yeah, so I have to say, thank you for that. That was a, a highlight of being the mad scientist. That was crazy. I remember that too. I was talking about how I first uh, met you. I actually was, I met JD uh, Raw first. And then uh, I was like, uh, do you know the math fantasy? He was like, of course, you know, because I knew I had listened to your podcast when you interviewed him. And then I was like, can you introduce me to him? And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, so, and then when I met you, I was, I was starstruck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, remember when I asked you to get, to take a picture with you and your wife was looking at us like, what? You want a picture of him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yes, and and for me, I I'm in the sports marketing industry, so so we do a lot of these, these big uh, corporate events or you know the big sporting events. So I get to meet a lot of celebrities, you know, uh, Hollywood and sports celebrities, and but I don't get as starstruck as as when as when I met the Matt Scientist. I was like, <laughs> I gotta get a picture. <laughs> That's what you said. That yeah, that that reminded me. You said something about like yeah, like if you had met some famous basketball player or something. And, and yeah, you're more excited to meet me. And like, I was just as dumbfounded as my wife because I've just been writing 
some weird financial stuff into the internet and never expected any sort of uh response like that and and yeah it was it was pretty special so i i appreciated all the kind words and it was good to meet you all those years ago and hear some of your story which i'm so excited to get into today obviously and so yeah thanks for taking the time being on your show is definitely a highlight of my fi experience because you're the reason why i started this whole fi journey and uh, to be on your show after all these years is basically a bucket list type of opportunity for me. So thank you again. Oh, no, my pleasure. And yeah, like I meant to do it uh, a long time ago because when we met in 2016, I I was like, wow, Patrick has such an interesting story. I need to get him on the podcast. But then completely forgot all about it after that. And then it wasn't until recently, just a few months ago, you had tagged me on a YouTube video that you had published and it, I watched it and was like, oh, yeah, this is why I was going to have Patrick on all those years ago. So I'm so excited we're getting to do it today. So for my audience who is not familiar with you, could you maybe just tell a little bit about yourself and how this whole fire thing came about for you? Definitely. So I'm originally from Africa, East Africa, this small country called Rwanda. And uh, we're best known for having uh, mountain gorillas that you can actually visit in the mountains in the wild, which is one of those experiences that you have to, to do if you have a chance. And so I grew up in Africa, very modest lifestyle, single mom. And when I was 14, I had a chance to go to high school in Belgium and, uh, and I took it. And then uh, so I went to high school in Belgium. I was playing basketball. And then a few buddies uh, of mine, teammates, were playing in the U.S. And uh, so I had a chance to go to college in the U.S. And, of course, I took it. Because being from Africa, having a chance to, to live in America is too big of a dream, you know, because for us, going to Europe is, is somewhat an achievable uh, dream because it's not that far and a lot of people have done it. And uh, so for a kid out of Africa, especially my country, Rwanda, a lot of people go to Europe or even South Africa, which is uh, a modernized African country, to really experience, I guess, the first world living. And uh, when I got a chance to come to the U.S., I took it. And my plan was to come here, do the whole collegiate experience, and then go back uh, to Europe and play at a pro level like a lot of my friends are doing. But I heard myself my second year, and then it wasn't the same anymore. So that dream was, was done. And then I decided to stay in the U.S which was the best decision of my life. And then got a job, started working in the sports marketing, as we talked about. So these ads saying sales make a lot of money. Like I can do that. So I got the job. And after four years of like a telemarketing type of telesales, uh, telemarketing, where you have to call all these uh, top CEOs of big companies and pitch them, kind of like that, that movie, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm. or... Uh, the boiler room, basically. You know? <laughs> yeah, you learn quick. I love those kind of movies because they remind me of my start in... Uh, Working, basically, uh, hitting the phone. It's kind of like a stockbroker in a way where you got to make 100 calls a day and hope that you talk to 10 people and out of 10 people, uh, maybe uh, sign up one person. And this so was commission-only sales, is that right? So you didn't have any sort of base salary and you just earned solely off the commissions of what you sold, is that right? Yes. So it was a commission-only sales. Uh, and if you sold a package, which is hard to do, but if you sold a package, you make a lot of money, thousands of dollars uh, per package. And so we knew that uh, it was feast of famine, basically. You sell something, you make a lot of money, you sell nothing, and, and you're dead broke for that month, basically. So it was a high turnover job because it's not made for everybody because you have to accept rejections every single day. And then the toughest thing with the commission-only uh, sales job, too, is the fact that you have to reinvent yourself every month because I have a buddy of mine who's my CPA. 
And he always tells me how his job at the beginning of each year, he already knows how many clients he's going to do his taxes for. So he already has a book of business that he knows will come back every year. So he doesn't have to go fetch a new business. Whereas for me, I can have a huge month. And then the first of the next month, I have to start from scratch. I don't know where I'm going to get my next deal. So it's kind of like you have to reinvent yourself every single month. Wow. So so you're you're just basically cold calling and hoping for the best. And you're not really taking any warm leads into the next month. Is that right? Exactly. I've been doing this since 1998. And uh, it's still as hard as it was on day one. You know, of course, now I have a book of business because you can do a great job to a customer who wants to take their, their clients to, a, let's say, a Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl happens to be in your hometown. Then it makes sense for you to invite a few of your top accounts and then take them to a Super Bowl for a nice weekend of a fun and party. So you can get to meet your clients at a personal level and generate more revenue in the future because now you know them. So it's, it's a relationship type of packages that we sell where you get to spend time with your clients outside of a boardroom mm. where you get to really know them at a personal level. And that usually helps your, your bottom line. Instead of Super Bowl, just in L.A. And you do a big junket, you invite a few clients. It doesn't mean that you're going to do it next year when the Super Bowl is in Phoenix. So that's why you have to find another client who is in Phoenix who wants to do the same thing. So that's why you have to always, always, always get new new leads and a new client. So it sounds like with a job like that, you would need some serious money management skills to be able to smooth out those up highs and lows so that you can you know sustain yourself for every month, no matter what's happening. It sounds like you did that, but it was just because you're so good at sales that you're able to maintain a really lavish lifestyle. Can you talk about adjusting to that sort of income and then how you actually use that to inflate your lifestyle quite a bit? Yes. So I get my job and then I become the king of of cold callers. (laughs) And then four years into it, I had learned the sales aspect of it. I learned the, uh, the operational side of it. And then I was like, you know what? How about I think I can do this for myself. I don't have to work for somebody. So that was one of my biggest accomplishments in life because four years after college, I just jumped in and started my own company in the same industry. Oh, wow. Yes. So I wasn't married. I had no kids. So there's nothing to lose, really, and everything to gain. So I jumped in and then I started my new company. And the idea behind that whole thing was like, I was telling my current customers that I, I was starting a new company. They're all excited for me. And I thought I was going to get everybody to join me. But then they didn't really join me as I thought uh, mm. they would. Because when I did my, my business plan, I accounted for a certain number of accounts that would come with me. And then nobody showed. So I had to really uh, dig deep and find new accounts to start my company. So it was tough the first six months. I thought I was going to be a bust. And then after month six, I just blew up. And I got a bunch of deals. And uh, the Super Bowl was in San Diego that year, 2003. And I was basically sold out in a month. I had like 200 people going to the Super Bowl. And I was like, wow, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and then the following year, I kept growing the, the business. So I went from basically $0 to $5 million in four years. Wow. And, yes, in revenue. And I, I had a whole sales team at that point. I had 10 people working for me. I had a whole event planning team on site. I had two event planners. I had an accounting team on site. So we had a bunch of uh, accounts at that point and everything was rolling. And of course, with money coming in and I hadn't seen that much money in my lifetime. So I started spending all the money as well. (laughs) 
let's just recap real quick. Did you graduate college in 98? Is that right? Yes. And then you worked for somebody else until about 2002. And then 2002, you started your own company. And then it took six months to a year to get ramped up. And then 2003, you were really cooking. Is that is that about right? Yes. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you got all this money coming in. And yeah, talk about how that uh, changed how you spent. <laughs> if I guess to rewind a little bit, when I finished college, when I started my job, a lot of people in the office were talking about uh, investing in stocks and this and that and uh, stocks splits and all that. So I started kind of, of studying up on that a little bit. And then in 2000, early 2000, I jumped in and invested $5,000 in the tech mutual fund. So it was basically <laughs> all the dot com uh, were in this fund. And then, and you know what happened that year, the, the whole uh, dot com bubble burst. And then my $5,000 basically turned into $1,800 in like six months. So at that point, I was like, okay, I don't believe in the stock market. I'm never going to invest in this thing again. And so I did not touch the stock market at all. And then in 2003, when, when the money started flowing in for me, I, I bought a house. I bought a townhouse in uh, downtown in a really rich area. And then, of course, when you have a, a new house, you have to get a new car. Too. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I was driving an Infiniti FX35. And at that point, my monthly payment was about four or $500. So I just bought a house. And then I was like, okay, now just get a nice car to park in front of this house. <laughs> So I went and bought a Mercedes, like the most expensive Mercedes out there, where my monthly payment, uh, I leased it. It was three-year lease, and I was paying $1,100 a month. And, and my scientist, I got to tell you, one thing about me was I knew how to spreadsheet. So I was spending out of control, but it was always on my spreadsheet. So if it made sense on my spreadsheet, I spent it. Mm-hmm. So the way I did it for the car, as an example, I was like, okay, so I'm paying $500 for this car right here. This one here is going to cost me $1,100. So it's only $600 extra. Do I have $600 extra? Yes, I do. Okay. Let's, let's <laughs> so, you know, trips, about a service. I remember one of my birthdays was epic where we had a, a Cristal. I think we had like 10 bottles of Cristal. So I was just spending thousands of dollars in a stupid manner. As someone who's never had Cristal, how is it? Is it... S- really that much better than any other champagnes or because I, I once had Krug champagne on a uh, business class flight that I booked with miles on Qatar Airlines and that the Krug was amazing like I'm not a champagne fan but I could drink that Krug all day is Cristal the same sort of quality then yes it goes down smooth so, like, <laughs> you can tell it's a little different than the the Corbel yeah <laughs> <laughs> But it's not worth the, the the money you're spending on that one bottle, though. You're trying to get drunk, and, and they all taste the same, really. <laughs> That's true. We were up in Isla, Scotland, which is where they produce all the PD whiskeys. And this completely wasted guy came up to the bar next to us and ordered a dram of whiskey for 95 pounds. So that's like pretty much one shot of booze for 95 pounds. And we were sitting there drinking our four-pound dram of something good, but not 95 pounds. And it took everything I had not to just swap mine for his because I was like, there's no way he's going to notice. He can't even stand up like this is all going to taste the same to him. And it took everything I had not to just swap that over and see what 95 pound dram actually tasted like. Yeah, exactly. So basically, I was spending out of control. I was not saving anything. But one thing I did that was great, though, at that time, I bought a bunch of rental properties in Arizona and I bought four properties in the same month. 
And that was when the, the real estate was booming in the U.S. And I remember at that time in Arizona and Phoenix area, they were saying like finding a house at $200,000 is going to be a thing of the past. You know, like these homes are going to 500000 So I was like, yeah, let me just go in. Because as I said before, I didn't believe in the stock market. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this real estate thing, when I bought that, that townhouse, it appreciated real quick within a year. And then by 05, I appreciate like a couple hundred grand on my townhouse uh, in, in uh, downtown San Diego. And then I was like, okay, I be- I, now I'm a believer in real estate. And then, of course, at that time, everybody was saying real estate never goes down. It only goes up. <laughs> and when I bought those homes in Arizona uh, as rental properties, it was going great, too. I, I hired a property manager in Phoenix, and uh, they were doing everything for me and uh, getting an 8% cut on the rent. So I didn't have to do anything. I was just collecting checks uh, wow. every month. Yeah, it was just fantastic. And at that point, I was like, okay, I have to ramp it up and get more properties because this real estate thing is ridiculous. You know, I'm going to be a multimillionaire in no time. <laughs> so as I was spending money, money was still flowing in. You know, we're growing real fast. And my wife always makes fun of me because I had a personal shopper at uh, Nordstrom. <laughs> so she would call me every time uh, they had a new arrival and put some clothes aside for me. I was really living it up, though. I don't regret it. Because I really had a great time. And then in 2008, it all came to a screeching halt when the recession uh, hit. I I still remember September 2008 when uh, Lehman Brothers went belly up. Mm -hmm. Then everything just stopped in my industry because this is discretionary spending that really is not necessary for companies. You know, marketing dollars to spend on their clients. So when the going gets tough, that's the first thing they cut. Yeah. So... And I don't know if you remember in 08, they were laying off thousands of people. And my biggest accounts uh, were like AIG and all these other companies that were spending stupid money on, on these corporate junkets. And uh, so everybody now, for, from September until December, they all wanted their money back or, or canceling events and then not spending anything on corporate events. So we didn't sell anything in three months. We actually just reimbursing people. Mm. And at that point, I knew, okay, this is not going well. And in December of 08, I, I made a decision to basically close shop. Wow. So at that point, you're used to this lavish lifestyle. I guess you have some fixed expenses that are going to be not changing no matter what's happening in the market. So you still got that $1,100 a month Ben's payment. And then you got your condo that you own in San Diego that you live in, but then you got the four rental properties in Phoenix. So all those bills are still coming due. Did, did you maintain your tenants throughout that time or? No, not at all. So all the tenants started not paying. And so we're doing eviction and and, and it was tough trying to get somebody out to get somebody in and they were trashing the places. Mm. So my monthly expenses at that time were probably like around $12,000, $15,000 on my personal expenses. The company expenses, I was probably spending like $70,000 a month just to break even. So that's when I was like, there's no way I can continue because the money's not flowing in anymore. And I still am paying that $70,000 to pay my team and as well as uh, all the other uh, fixed expenses that I had to pay. So I made a decision to basically close shop and I had to file for bankruptcy. So I really hit rock bottom at that time. Obviously, that must have been a yeah really trying time personally. Where do you go from that, especially when you know the economy wasn't really picking back up very quickly at that stage? It was really, really rough because I, I had no plan B. So mm-hmm. this was my plan A, B, C, D, all of them combined in one. And then now I just lost it. 
And the reason why I had to file for bankruptcy was because I had a bunch of loans that I had personally guaranteed and there's no way I could have survived it. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I let my properties go in Arizona and filing for bankruptcy is, it, 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 I'm not saying it's a great thing, but it gives you a fresh start. Right. Did you know that when you file for bankruptcy, uh, they expunge all your debt, but they don't expunge your student loans. Right. So those you pay, they don't expunge those. But if you have money invested in a 401k or any other retirement account, they do not touch that. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yes. So let's say instead of buying homes in Arizona, if I had a, a SEP IRA or, or invested in a 401k, and I had a few hundred thousand dollars in that in that account. They would not have touched it. Wow. I'm not saying it's a good thing, you know, because you had a bunch of debt that you don't have to pay anymore. But at the same time, you know, like if you were invested in a retirement account, you at least have a starting point. You're not starting yeah. from zero. Right. So when I hit rock bottom in '09 and filed for bankruptcy, when you file for bankruptcy, you have to take a little online class. Because they don't want you to come back. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, either you get it or you don't get it, you know, and then you're going to be back 10 years later as far as filing for bankruptcy. But that hit me really hard because I was like, wow, you know, like this is ridiculous. I mean, you can't go any lower than where I am right now because I lost everything. And so that class really hit me hard. And, I, and that's when I started doing some research on personal finance. And then I found Dave Ramsey first. Mm-hmm. And you know, how he also had a, had a bunch of real estate and, and, and went bankrupt also. And then he always preaches cash is king. Hmm. And uh, I mean, I couldn't finance a pen anyway at that point. You know, my credit score was, I think it was like 450 at you know, nine. And so I was there using just cash for everything. And so I was like, okay, I got to figure out my life. But I started listening to him and then doing some research a, a few years later, then I found the mind scientist. <laughs> and and when I found the Mud Scientist podcast, that really, really opened up my life and gave me a new lifeline because you had Mr. Money Mustache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first show. guest. Yes, first guest. So I listened to what he said. And I was like, wow, that's possible? I had no idea this was possible. And then uh, you had JL Collins and you had JD Ross and so all these other FI influencers. So I started just basically just listening to, to your shows all the time. And then I started investing in the stock market again because everybody was talking about index fund uh, investing. And so I started putting some money aside, investing in the stock market. And then I also knew that I had to lower my expenses because everybody was, was, was talking about that on your show as well. You know, you have to uh, to find a way to lower your expenses. So that's what I did. Also, I forgot to tell you, I also started a new company, but uh, in the same industry, mm. but at a smaller scale. Instead of having a, a whole team now, it was just me. Right. And uh, I was outsourcing the event planning. I was outsourcing everything else. So it was just me on the phone and just creating a, a smaller company in the same industry, which I knew. And this time around, I was like, okay, I have to make sure that I get something out of this industry because the first time around, I got a lot of fun, but I got no- <laughs> had nothing to show for after. Yeah. So this time around, I was like, okay, I have to really now learn how to save. I learn how to invest. So any money that I make now is going towards my savings. Right. And so talk a little bit about decreasing your expenses, because I think in your video, you maybe mentioned that you decreased them by 50% over that period. Was it 
painful? Was there things you really missed that you've since added back to your life? Just talk about yeah, taking such a drastic expense cut. At that time, I was paying about about seven thousand uh, dollars a month in all my expenses, and I knew I could do better. And so the first thing that we did was we sold our house. And so my wife had a, a nice condo that we lived in and we sold it. And by selling and start renting, we basically shaved off a thousand dollars from the mortgage to renting. And then we continued by, by finding ways to shave off expenses that we didn't really need. And so we went to six thousand, five, five thousand, four thousand. And and then in two thousand and thirteen, we did something really crazy, my client is. We had about $250,000 saved up at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and we're like, okay, what are we going to do with this? And it was in index funds and, and the brokerage account. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to take that whole chunk, which was 100% of our liquid assets. When I think about it, I, I cringe <laughs> because we took all that money and bought a condo in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the thinking behind our whole thing was, okay, well, if we buy a condo in Mexico, then we can really lower our expenses because uh, living in Mexico is is basically 50% off of, li- of living in San Diego. Sure. So if we go to Mexico, then we can really shave off even more money. And the fact that in my company, I could make calls from anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be in the U.S. And so the idea behind buying a, a property in Mexico was okay, let's rent it out uh, now. And I didn't even know Airbnb existed in, in 2013. I knew VRBO, but I didn't know Airbnb. I think they were still at the infancy stage or they were not as big as VRBO for renting your house. So we're thinking we're going to rent it out and then use it as well. And then a few years uh, later, I think we had a five-year plan of actually moving to Mexico and really shaving off, going from like that, that $7,000 to probably going to like $2,000. Hmm. And when you buy a place in Mexico... I don't know if you're familiar with buying a property in Mexico. You, you cannot get a loan from Mexico. So you have to buy cash. So a lot of Americans who buy homes in Mexico, they have to either use cash or take a, an equity loan out of their home and then use that to buy a place in Mexico. So it was really, really risky because Mexico, you know, when you go to Mexico you, for the weekend, you're having a good time. But it's not a first world country. So you don't really know when you buy a place in Mexico if the place is, is actually yours because there's this thing called fideicomiso, which is a trust. So they don't allow uh, Americans to actually uh, own a property in Mexico. So you have to put in a trust that you open with a Mexican bank. Mm. And then that trust is renewable every year. It costs like $400 a year. So the title of the house is in that trust which is under my name, and I can gift it to somebody, I can sell that property, I can do whatever I want. It's my property, but it has to be in the trust. Right. So a lot of different rules that happen where you don't really know. So what happens? The bank goes belly up. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? You start thinking about all these things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we were like, you know what? Let's just give it a try and see. So we really put all of our chips in in that one basket. And then with Airbnb, the place exploded as far as renting. And so we were netting probably about $2,000 a month in rental income after all expenses. And uh, the following year in 2014, we bought another place in Playa del Carmen on the East Coast, the Caribbean side of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And the reason why was we're trying to hedge 
town saying, okay, instead of buying another place in Cabo, how about we buy another place in a whole different area of Mexico? So if Cabo goes bust, at least we have another place so we can kind of hedge. Yeah. And so we bought that one, and then he went also unbelievable as far as renting our Airbnb. So now we're netting uh, over $3,000 a month on um, with just those two properties. Wow. In my head, I was like, okay, so we're netting $3,000. So all I need to do now is get below $3,000 in expenses, and then I'm free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we kept moving. Every year, it seemed like we were moving just to shave off money from our rental. And our family members were, were making fun of us because we wouldn't hire a moving company because we were so cheap at that point. <laughs> So I did a lot of moving of, uh, of big furniture. And every time we moved, we shaved off $500. That's <laughs> why we moved. Mm-hmm. And so in 2017, we had accumulated enough or, or we're making enough money and had lowered our expenses to a level where we actually hit FI. And you know how I found out I hit FI? I went on the Mad Scientist <laughs> Lab. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know what kind of... Uh, mumbo jumbo algorithm you use here but let me try <laughs> try it so i put all the numbers okay this is, how I, this is my expenses this is how much I, I have invested and then click results and then the my scientist told me well you have to hit <laughs> my friend oh that's great <laughs> and at that time my monthly expenses were about twenty eight hundred dollars wow so i had lowered my monthly expense to twenty eight hundred dollars and this is kind of crazy when you think about it, too, because I live in San Diego. Right. Yeah, exactly. San Diego is not a cheap place to live. So that's when I knew in 2017 that I, I had to hit F5. And then in 2019, that's when another huge milestone of mine, I hit the millionaire mark. Nice. Congrats. <laughs> yes. So, so it was crazy, though, for you know a kid from Africa who grew up with nothing. Because it, when you're in Africa... When you dream about being a millionaire, because being a millionaire in Russian rubles means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, or Cuban pesos or, or even, you know, Rwandan francs. Okay, you're a millionaire in Rwandan francs. But being a millionaire in the U.S. is a, is a big deal. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And especially because in '09 I had nothing. It is my best uh, accomplishment ever because especially where I came from, you know, and also my spending habits pre-recession. Yeah. So obviously, I guess during this time, you're building up the smaller business that you had started in 2009. Is that right? Is that what uh, produced the income besides the rental properties? Yes. So every money I was uh, uh, making, I was basically saving it. And I became a saving machine at that point. Because in sales, you, you always think about you're always trying to measure yourself with the next sales guy because mm. I remember when I started, you know, it's like, okay, I made a hundred grand. How much did you make? So it's kind of a competition among salespeople. But after 09, I didn't really care how much I made. The biggest thing that was important for me is how much I saved. Mm. So I don't care I made 200 grand. If I don't save anything, it means nothing. But if I save a hundred grand, then that's a huge accomplishment because not many people can do that in a year. And it became an obsession of mine, basically trying to find a way to save as much as I could and invest it. And at that point, I believed in the index uh, investing. I believed in real estate. So my portfolio is half and half right now, where it's half real estate, half index fund. So I've had the pleasure of meeting your lovely wife. When in this story did she come into the picture? And was she 
on board with this crazy fire idea slash cutting expenses to 50% of what they were before? My wife is, is my ride or die because I met her in 2007. So she got to experience the spending of Patrick. I always tell her, I got you because of my Mercedes. But she, she's frugal by nature. So she, she wasn't really wild by all the flash and, and the blings. Mm-hmm. And so when everything hit rock bottom, she was actually my rock because it was still early in our, in our dating life. Mm-hmm. And if I was her, the way everything was hemorrhaging around me, I would have cut my losses. And be <laughs> right. like, okay, this guy is not worth it. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to marry up, not marry down, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... She stood by me and she was all in. Like every time uh, we come up with our crazy ideas, she's always all in and, and always gave some great advice. And when we took that big risk of buying our, our place in Kabul, she was driving force. I wanted to quickly go back and ask you about that transition from spending as much as you were pre-2008 to then spending what you spend now or in 2017 when you hit FI. And it's sort of a selfish question because... I've always been naturally frugal. And now that I don't need to be as frugal, I'm trying to see what kind of spending actually moves the needle for happiness. Is there anything you miss that you cut out? Or was there anything that you've added back into your life after drastically cutting your expenses? Or anything interesting that you learned in in those two sort of mindsets? You have to change that mindset. And that was the biggest thing for me in 09 was to uh, change a mindset. I became a saver instead of a spender. And to do that, though, you have to have a, a, a why. And, and if you don't have a why, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. So me, I spend money on experiences. I love traveling. So my wife and I, we, we're trying to take at least two months a year going places. So what we do, we just go eight days at a time. Nice. Eight days to Hawaii and then come back home. And then the next month, we take eight days, go to Jamaica and then come back home. And we usually do that for about two months every year and that's where we spend our money just to go have those memories of uh, going to these festivals and concerts and and things like that and, and so it's personal again though so i don't knock them for doing what they're doing yeah. you know if you have the money buy yourself a new car go ahead and do it because you have to enjoy life yeah but enjoying life for me is not buying material stuff anymore so that's why personal finance is personal a lot of my friends, they always ask me, how come you're always on vacation? That's why I started my YouTube channel, because I was like, maybe I should share how I did it, you know, my journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And so speaking of your YouTube channel, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, your story, or get in touch? Where can people go? So I'm active on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is Frugal Safari. I have frugalsafari.com as well, where I started blogging after I met you in, in 2016, but then I realized I'm not a, a big writer. So there's a few articles there, but uh, maybe I should go back and write a few more. Uh, but I also have a YouTube channel now called uh, Aim to Invest, because my name is Patrick Aim. A-I-M-E. A-I-M-E. Yes. So my YouTube channel is called Aim to Invest. Nice. Okay. I'll link to I'll link to Twitter. I'll link to the website, and I'll definitely link to the YouTube channel as well. And you've heard this show before, so you know I always end every interview with what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody on the path to financial independence. The biggest piece of advice I would give is know your expenses 
because a lot of people, I feel like the majority of, uh, of Americans and anybody in the world, they don't know how much they spend on things. So if you ask them how much you, uh, you spend on your expenses every month, they, they don't know. And uh, if you don't know how much you spend, then you're going to have a hard time controlling your finances because it's controlling you at that point. You have to know how much you spend every month because once you know that, then you can have a game plan on how to, uh, to achieve uh, financial independence. So know your expenses, itemize your expenses on a spreadsheet so you know uh, how bad or how good it is so you can uh, have control of your finances. Couldn't agree more, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining me. And everyone out there, go give Patrick some love on YouTube because I accidentally woke him up early on a Sunday. He had to set an alarm for the first time in years because I'm in Scotland, so that's usually eight hours difference. But it was even worse because the clocks changed last night in America and they didn't change here. So we only figured that out today. So he had to wake, <laughs> he had to wake up super early on a Sunday. So Patrick, thank you for doing that. This has been fantastic. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. My scientist, this is definitely a bucket list uh, moment for me. We went from taking a selfie together <laughs> in 2016 to now being on your show. And the fact that I hit financial dependence was because of you, because because you showed me the way with all your interviews. So thank you so much. And this is definitely a, a memory that I would not forget. Oh, that's great to hear, Patrick. And I'll use that picture of us as the main picture for this episode. <laughs> and that's what started the whole journey for me, basically San Diego, meeting a math scientist. And now I'm on the math scientist show. <laughs> well, it doesn't get any better. This is, this is basically what you... You call Hollywood ending, man. Hollywood ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's awesome, man. Thank you so much. I uh, enjoyed it and I know the audience will too. So I really appreciate you taking the time and waking up early on a Sunday morning. And hopefully I'll see you somewhere in the world. Let's do it. And I say hi to your lovely wife for me. You do the same. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Finance.